Hi, you're listening to Perpetual Learning, a place where we unpack ideas from great reads and listens. I'm Manjula Salvaraja. Hey, Manjula, and I'm Susan Siva. This week, we're talking about strengthening democracy by changing the kind of people leading democracies. Um, Oh boy, what a topic to be talking about with with multiple <laughs> elections on the horizon. Great pick. Uh, let's kick this off. So then when you threw this topic in, to be frank, it did take me by surprise because it feels um, like it feels a little off brand to me because we tend to talk about things here that are, you know, it's usually critical thinking about career, investment, entrepreneurship. Like why this topic? Did something in the current sort of, uh, you know, ethos or going on set you off? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, it, it's a topic that I think about whenever I think about public elections. So, you know, I think that may have been a piece of it. And then just seeing a few constant pieces around, in and around kind of political leadership also kind of inspired me, so to speak. But, you know, generally speaking, I'm always surprised by the general lack of quality in leadership that, you know, we see in governments today versus the private sector. And obviously incentives and compensation play a factor in this, but I also think it's a function of the way the system is set up. Right. And I think, you know, this post really kind of goes deeper into that, but, you know, generally speaking, it's very hard to take a strong perspective, drive change over a long period of time without dealing with the need to provide short-term gratification to voters and lobbyists and essentially being, being in this constant cycle of, you know, going through elections and then being prepared to be reelected and so on and so forth. So, uh, yeah, that, that's what got me into this topic. What, what worries you about who you see in leadership or, or contending to be a leader? Yeah. And the newsletter, I share this analogy on the Fox versus the lion and, you know, most leaders, especially today, try to be this lion type figure, right? Larger than life, super charismatic, mm. right? And, and whereas, you know, a fox really needs to distinguish themselves through logic and intelligence. And today, quite honestly, it's just more rare to see those types of people um, rise to the top and be able to actually take a real leadership role in most governments. It's I, interesting. I, I at least no hope. It's so interesting that you say that just anecdotally. Um, you know, I know of a couple of people that, that have been approached to run for X or Y. It happens, right? Yeah. As, as you get older and, and your network gets older and they build experience, they get approached for things. And I've noticed that, that people will tell me that, that they've been approached simply because they think they had charisma. Like I've actually had people tell me that, right. that. I'm not sure I have any experience when it comes to public policy or interest, but someone saw me speak a couple of times somewhere and decided, well, I think, I think she or he should run for politics. And I just, I heard it a couple of times. So I found it really interesting that, that we and political parties are drawn, um, drawn to charisma. Now you picked the late Lee Kuan Yew, um, called the founding father of Singapore as an example of a, of a fox. Why is that? I mean, you know, he obviously has some faults, but the long term change that he was able to drive from where Singapore was, which was, you know, essentially empty land to where it is today with limited resources, right? No real natural resources, nothing to really, you know, unlike Canada as an example, nothing to kind of really harvest 
um, is really quite remarkable, right? He built literally an economy and social system from scratch. And today, if you look at the system he's built, you know, obviously there's some faults, but there, there's also a lot of great things that he was able to achieve and, and, you know, kind of bring forward. And ultimately, I think, you know, Singapore, you know, from a healthcare, from a, you know, maybe not a social perspective, but from an economic perspective, at least, um, and education perspective, even, you know, really tier one when you compare it to other countries. So, uh, you know, he was able to accomplish a lot over a, a fairly long period of time as well. Mm. You know, I wonder with him, though, I have to bring this up. I mean, do the results matter more than the path that was taken? I mean, how do you see his his objectionable views and, and actions? I mean, you know, we are talking about racism, um, repression of opposition figures, imprisoning people without trial and, and a lot more. How do you how do you sort of balance those things that have been reported reported on over years? It's tough, right? And, you know, there is no perfect balance. I, you know, he is human. And, and that's not to kind of, you know, diminish <clears throat> some of the, some of his views and actions, obviously. But, you know, it's clear that his North Star was, you know, making Singapore, you know, a top tier nation in many respects. But it often also came at the cost of taking a more punitive stance on a few social issues so that he can just, you know, remain focused on, you know, creating a world-class economy, creating kind of more of a sustainable future uh, for Singapore, perhaps a future that's not for everyone, but, you know, still something that, you know, can carry on nonetheless. Now, the read that inspired you this time is titled Leadership in Crisis, Why the West Needs Plato More Than Ever. Uh, it appears in Engels, Engelsberg's Ideas and is uh, written by the economist, uh, political editor, Adrian Woldridge. There's a lot to unpack here. Uh, let's start with this. What informs you that we have a leadership crisis? I mean, we've talked about this a couple of episodes ago, but, you know, there's just a general lack of trust in leadership across several organizations, right? You don't need to do a study to figure this out. Just take a look at, you know, the COVID response or or the way people around us even look at political leaders, right? They're all kind of seen with a general sense of skepticism. And, you know, often the the phrase that I use is, you know, you're left picking the devil you know versus the one you don't, right? Which isn't exactly an inspiring view if you're picking the leader of your nation. You know, I've got to tell you a story here. I was at, um, ages ago, I happened to be, it was some kind of an investment uh, meeting related to the startup I, that I used to work at. So we were in some kind of a funding discussion and there was a investor at the table. And for some reason, we all started talking about politics and who was running. And he made an interesting observation. I'm by no means validating it, but, but, he said something, this was like 10, 15 years ago, I think. And he said something very similar to, to, to what you're saying now and what was in this, in this piece as well, that you're left picking the devil, you know, versus the one you don't. But part of his reasoning was that, that there is so much of a lens on political figures, um, that there, that, the, and he wasn't even, I mean, this was before, before social media even became a, the, the thing that it is now mm-hmm. that you, they're picked upon so much. They have to have these, um, non-cancelable records that, that actually he thinks that the best people would rather do anything else than run. And that was his statement. I'm not saying it, it it's right, but it, it certainly was very 
interesting for me to hear someone intelligent say that people he knew in a circle who ought to run would rather just about do anything else. Fair. Um, Yeah. I mean, it is quite restrictive in a lot of ways. And if you want to make bold change, right, you know, you are going to ruffle some feathers more likely than not, at least. And you, you and I'm guessing your personal life um, have to be able to take that to a certain extent. Now, what is Plato's argument against everyone having a voice in public policy? Yeah, I mean, he argues kind of against this merit, the merits of, you know, working and, you know, leading through consensus, right? He argues that you know, a successful republic or society is run by a class of people whose job is basically to kind of think about the long-term success of the society, right? So, you know, people who are just purely focused on understanding what are some of the long-term existential threats and opportunities and how do you work around that? Right. Mm, so it's hard to do that when you're ruling by by public opinion and polling along certain issues. Exactly. Exactly. What would Plato have us do instead? Yeah, I mean, he recommends a couple of things. I think, you know, he, he essentially says, you know, successful societies need to reallocate leadership positions in each generation and essentially train, you know, these so-called guardians um, you know, really invest in their education, not just from an academic perspective, but more importantly, from a character perspective, mm. so that, you know, these people are, are kind of trained to put public good above private interests and, you know, really rewarding morality versus, you know, intellect or at least perceived intellect, because, you know, corruption in particular can really set the wrong tone, as we've seen across a, a few different countries, uh, you know, for the entire community. What's interesting, because when I when I look at what he what he had envisioned, he imagined a group of educated leaders, unmarried, assetless, meaning that, you know, they <laughs> they in some way were not connected to property uh, and focused on the common good. So they don't fix the system to, to line their pockets. Is that even possible? Like, is it possible to get a group of people to leave their worldly possessions behind for the rest of us. Yeah, I mean, obviously, in this day and age, probably not, right? But <laughs> it does speak to the incentive system that these folks might need to have, right? I think right now, you know, they don't, there isn't really a strong incentive for any of these leaders to outperform, apart from, you know, what they might receive from a public image perspective. But when you actually look at the incentives, you know, they're not exactly going to do poorly if the country isn't managed well, right? And and on you know the flip side, they don't do extremely well if the country is managed extremely well. So, uh, right. you know, I think it does speak to that, and and perhaps some sort of incentive system that aligns them more closely to the wealth and and the overall well-being of the nation um, could probably go a long way. What was your biggest takeaway from the read? To me, it really gave perspective on the pearls of democracy and, and the challenges we might face from it, right? We always talk about how great democracy is and, you know, growing in a, in a Western uh, nation, you, you know, you kind of, you know, buy into that and, and, you know, have obviously reaped the benefits of that, but there is a flip side to it. And, you know, just having leaders who operate with these long, with, more of a long-term perspective and, you know, steer the nation over a long period of time is 
is, is an important characteristic and, you know, you know, nations like China, right. You know, for all its faults or perceived faults, you know, you know, they've been able to benefit from that as well. Right. Singapore is another one. So I think, you know, recognizing kind of the balance and the need for both um, and understanding why I think uh, was something that I t- really took away from, from this article. I think, you know, really thinking about how do we, how do we empower people to think long term without, without any calls to dictatorship or, or not being able to, to, you know, have people lose their positions if they're, if they're, if they're not doing the right things. But I think there's something to be, to be said for having incentives in place to invest in long term things because the I think we're also in a in a time when you need those kind of investments because the short term investments cost us a tremendous amount of money. They we lose out on innovation, we lose out on infrastructure, all those sort of tough decisions, right? Totally. But I think I you know I'm trying to imagine what those incentives uh, would look like. I, I'm drawing a blank, but I'm hoping that that we can that you will keep reading on this front <laughs> and bring us more answers next time but you have piqued my curiosity i think i think the idea of cre- creating incentives for for to getting leaders political leaders to make long term for the long term good i think is a good thing absolutely um, absolutely just the how to do it yeah yeah yep. for sure thank always you. a challenge thank you fascinating topic and talk next week absolutely okay take care All right, see ya.